The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. We continue in a series on the biblical distinctives of Grace Bible Fellowship, and a distinctive is a major priority of a church, what we are committed to. And so we've got about 20, I mean, there could be less, there could be more, there's no specific number, but we just... What are the priorities of the New Testament church? What are the priorities of Jesus' ministry as clearly seen in Scripture? What were the priorities of the church in the book of Acts? Distilled that down, we came up with 20 ministry priorities and a philosophy of doing ministry based on the Bible and just kind of bullet points so that from a bird's eye or just an overview, you can look at it and see, wow, this is what this church is all about. Uh, We thought that would be helpful for people as they're investigating our church, considering trying to find a church for them, a Bible church, and those distinctives really help, especially when you understand those. So uh, I've been spending a few weeks here uh, picking some out of the top 20 of our distinctives to highlight those and show from Scripture why they are a priority and how we need to be reminded of them. So uh, today's distinctive, uh, I call every believer discipled, every believer discipled, and that just flows out of Scripture the New Testament, the ministry of Jesus and the apostles, that Jesus Christ, before he left, he gave a mandate to the church for all time that we need to be committed to discipling every person who's truly a Christian, every believer, every Christian needs to be discipled. And so that's what our church is committed to here at GBF. We are at the core, I know I am, in my very DNA as a Christian, I believe that discipleship is at the very core and foundation and major priority of what a church should be all about, what a pastor should be investing their time and energy into is discipleship, discipling themselves and also training others to disciple. Very important. Not every church believes that. Not every church makes a priority of that. But we do because we think it was modeled by Christ and his apostles and it's a mandate for the church. And so that's why I wanted to highlight this today. And there's a lot that can be said about discipleship. Uh, I came up with five main principles I want to share and then a call to action on the sixth point there. And this is, again, this is just an overview and a survey of what Scripture says, and really a a survey of Jesus' ministry and how he modeled it, the pattern that he left for us to follow, as well as the apostles. I'm not going to answer every question for you about discipleship, but at least I'll give you a a broad survey, some of the main priorities and points, and some stuff to think about, and hopefully other things, other scriptures that you can study on your own. Uh, People do come up and ask me at times, or occasionally, and I'll even get emails from abroad where people say, Pastor Cliff, do you got any good books that you know of on discipleship and I think hmm well there's this one (laughs) I am not kidding Christian living beyond belief Um, I wrote that book about it is a book about discipleship in my opinion that's that was my goal it's like I had been involved when I became a Christian uh, some zealous committed faithful obedient young men that I knew in college who were mature Christians gravitated towards me, took me in under their wings, and they poured their life into me. They discipled me aggressively, systematically, faithfully. And it had a huge impact on my life as a young Christian. And it set a model for me for the rest of my life. And I've done nothing but mimic what they did for me as I've tried to reproduce that in others. And I found out, wow, they got this right out of the Bible. This was not made up on their part. And so in being a Christian for almost 25 years, I look back, thanks to God for those people he brought into my life providentially. Uh, I've been involved in intimate discipleship with other brothers, other men of God, older than me and younger than me, for 25 years. Every year I've been a Christian. 
whether I'm being discipled by someone or I'm pouring my life into someone else. Uh, and after doing that for about 15 years as a pastor at a couple of different churches, uh, taking people through discipleship, one-on-one, small groups, uh, teaching it in Sunday school classes, then that's when I decided I need to put something in print that I can use. So I actually wrote this and used this even before it was printed as a tool to go through discipleship with somebody, whether it was a fellow brother in the Lord, and we go one-on-one and uh, take them through the priorities of New Testament truth to help them grow and with the purpose of getting them to disciple others as well. And so that would be my answer. Do you know of any, not necessarily good books, but do you know any books on discipleship? I'd say this one right here. And then I wrote a chapter on there called Disciple with an exclamation point. And I didn't make up any of that information. I gleaned it all from Scripture and from other men of God and teachers of God who knew about discipleship and modeled it in their life. And at the end of that chapter, there's about 12 to 15 of what I think are the best books written on discipleship. And it's a great resource, those uh, books. So if you are interested in discipleship, many of you are. You've asked me. Uh, There are some great uh, books that I list at the end of that chapter. And that chapter itself, just review it because it comes right out of the Gospels and the ministry of the apostles of what the priorities are. Of discipleship. So let's go ahead and look at this concept of every believer discipled. We are committed to it here at GBF. And actually, I could even make it even more narrow. At GBF, at the size church that we are, where we've got four elders and seven deacons and a hundred members, it's really every member discipled. Every member discipled. Those who are a part of the fold that God has entrusted to our care, according to 1 Peter 5 and also Hebrews 13 and 17, we are absolutely responsible and accountable to God for discipling every one of our members because that's a biblical mandate. Before we talk about what it means to be uh, discipled or every or th- this concept of every believer being discipled, first we need to define what discipleship is because there's confusion out there. There's a lot of confusion among well-intended Christians in the way they practice discipleship. So uh, just a couple of things about discipleship and the word disciple that you need to know. There is the noun form of disciple in the New Testament. That's the dominant word, disciple. It's a noun, mathetes. just simply means student, learner, devoted follower, a student of someone. And then it's defined specifically by the context in which it is used. You can be a disciple of anybody, really, and so that's why I put down there. There were disciples of the John the Baptist, Matthew 9.14. There were disciples of Jesus, Matthew 10.1, the 12 disciples specifically. Jesus had a lot of disciples, and then there were 12 specific disciples who became apostles. The Pharisees had disciples. So right there you can see that depending upon how the word disciple... A disciple doesn't necessarily mean somebody who's born again and fired up for Jesus. So it's defined by the context because the Pharisees had their little Pharisaical followers who were called disciples. Luke 5.33 and then in Acts 11.26, the book of Acts uh, even narrows the meaning of disciple specifically and caters that word towards true Christians. Uh, The disciples were called Christians in Acts chapter 11 verse 26. So it just simply, the word disciple means follower, learner, a student, Someone, you show loyalty to a master or a teacher or a leader. And then there's the verb form of the word disciple used a couple of times. Matthew 28, verse 20, Acts 14, 21. And when it's used as a verb, it means to teach, to instruct, to train, hence to disciple. And it is at the very core of the biblical mandate that Jesus gave in Matthew 20, 28. We're going to look at Matthew 20, 28 again in just a second. Before we do and get to the biblical meaning of discipleship, Let's uh, highlight some wrong views 
They're not all totally evil, but maybe they're just out of kilter a little bit, or maybe they just need a little more balance to them from a biblical point of view. Here are six common views of discipleship that I see in the Christian world, have seen in the Christian world since I've been a Christian, uh, that I think are a little off and need to be informed by Scripture uh, in no particular order. One wrong view of discipleship, number one, only elite Christians are disciples. So this is a view that says whenever you see the word disciple, especially in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, when it says disciples, it doesn't mean everybody who's a true believer. Or, I mean, it doesn't mean every believer. Uh, disciples in the Gospels refers to the elite, super spiritual, super committed Christians, the higher level Christians. In other words, uh, they got saved at some point and then maybe two years down the road, then they uh, got a, a zapped with some higher level of conviction supernaturally, and then they were elevated to this higher echelon of commitment called discipleship. So uh, this view would say that not every Christian is a disciple. It's only higher level, super spiritual, super committed, super serious Christians that are disciples. And actually, this it's a, a dominant view, and it came out of Dallas Seminary, actually, all the way from C.I. Schofield to Lewis Berry Schaefer to uh, all the professors there, Charles Ryrie, John Walvert, so a lot of good men. And this is their view, Zane Hodges. This is their view of discipleship. So they put their own definition on it that not every Christian is a disciple. It's only super spiritual Christians that are disciples, only those that are totally committed. If you're a carnal Christian, you're not a disciple. But if you're a disciple, you're truly committed. And this is how they uh, deal with passages where it says that a believer doesn't produce fruit. They allow for that. They, they say that a true believer can live their whole life and never produce any good fruit. And I would say, well, then it's probably because that person's not truly born again. And they would say, no, he was born again. He just wasn't a disciple. He wasn't a high-level committed Christian. But he was a true Christian. He just never produced any fruit in his life. So uh, that is that view. Only the elite Christians are disciples. Another wrong view or stilted view, number two, uh, some people say that, well, disciples, being a disciple is just synonymous with being saved. So when we say that we're committed to discipleship, they just mean we need to get them saved. We just evangelize them. They believe. Boom. They got saved. They're a disciple. And then that's the end of discipleship. We've accomplished the goal. So what they do is they equate discipleship with justification or the moment you get saved. So they don't attach discipleship with the process of sanctification like I would. Discipleship includes justification, but it's also a process through the course of life that includes sanctification and growing in Christ. And so there are Christians that say, uh, Scott, uh, Pastor Scott and I have worked with and known people, pastors even, who held this view. But it is not correct. Number three, uh, some people see discipleship as a one-way relationship, that you've got the smart, more mature, discipler, mentor, teacher, and then you've got the dummy down here, he's the disciple and it's a one-way relationship. It's not a reciprocal relationship. It's the master teacher always giving information to the learner. And it doesn't go both ways. The master leader, discipler doesn't learn anything from the disciple So it's kind of a one-way relationship. It's a diagonal downward relationship. That's not true. At least not true according to how it's modeled in the book of Acts. Um, and we'll, we'll see that in Scripture as well. It's actually a two-way relationship between two people. It's in the context of a relationship with one another. That's discipleship. Fourth wrong view. Uh, only formal relationships. This is people who see discipleship as a program. And they're just committed to the program. I'm not involved. Do you guys have any discipleship programs at your church? And you get in a relationship with somebody and you put it on your calendar and you schedule it and 
It's uh, every other Tuesday from 2 to 3.30, no more, no less. You don't talk to each other between whatever, and you've got this regimen and this schedule and this book you're going through and stuff you're doing through. Actually, all those things are good things. I think every one of those things should be included in a discipleship relationship, but the problem with this view is that's it. That's their narrow view, and they don't include relationship outside of that context. It's been too formalized or too canned. Uh, There's a danger in that because of that formality. They don't see it in the context of relationship in all venues of life. So it needs to go beyond the formality of just that scheduled appointment. It needs to happen in the context of relationship. So you can be formal. As a matter of fact, I think you do need, there needs to be formality to your discipleship relationships, but it just can't be too rigid that it uh, snuffs out other elements that are important to discipleship. Number five, uh, some people just define discipleship too narrowly. Um, I mean, I've encountered this and I'm, I'm not discipling anybody or nobody's discipling me. Well, what about that friend? Yeah, well, we're not really discipling each other. We're not, well, why not? What do you do? Well, we get together like once a month. We pray together and read the scriptures together, but we're not really discipling each other. I'm like, well, yeah, actually, boy, if you're getting together regularly and accountable to one another and you're reading the word, praying together, sharing your life together, to me, that is discipleship. So some people just get this very rigid, narrow definition of what discipleship is, and it's too narrow. Um, that's not the biblical perspective. One more of wrong views or unbalanced views, and that is that the one discipler only view. So-and-so is my discipler, and I have no other. Or Frank, he has seven disciples. He's the discipler, and he has no others. And we are his disciples, and so it's this very narrow view that I only have one discipler, in life, um, Jesus actually is our main discipler. But I, I want you here to turn to 1 Corinthians because I want to show you a couple of verses out of chapter 3 and chapter 4. That that's it's You can have a discipler or somebody who's mentoring you. That's a good thing. But to isolate it and say, no, he's I only listen to him or her. She's my discipler. Only she or he counts. They have the most authority. That's just not true. Uh, every Christian should actually have many disciples and disciplers. I think about, do I have, I have disciplers in my life right now and I have more than one. I have many people contributing to my growth, to my accountability, to my growing in Christ likeness, spurring me on. So I don't have just one discipler. Uh, Paul hints at this, 1 Corinthians 3, where he said in verse 5, what then is Apollos? Apollos was like a pastor and an associate of Paul. He was an authority in the church. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? We're servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. We're just servants of Jesus, Paul and Apollos. Verse 6, I planted the gospel, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. And Paul's point here is that it's not, I'm committed, uh, Apollos is my mentor and my only mentor. No, Paul, he's my mentor and my only mentor. And Paul's saying, no, that's not true. God uses a lot of different people in our life, and he can use Paul and Apollos together. They are all just servants. I planted Apollos water, but God causes the growth. So so then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters, they're one. See, there's a team. So I have a team of disciplers discipling me. Older men, colleagues, peers, men I respect mature men of God, people who know me, challenge me. So I welcome a team. It's not just one. That's what Paul's getting at here. Uh, Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Uh, Go to chapter 4. 
important phrases in this discussion. Verse 15, Paul reminds the Corinthians that he came into Corinth. It was totally pagan. He preached the gospel. Many people were saved. He started a church. He raised up leadership. He planted that church. He pastored there for a year and a half, and then he left. So he reminds them here in verse 15, for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, or one translation says many teachers in Christ, literally many disciplers in Christ, the point is Paul acknowledges the reality that any given Christian can have many different disciplers in their life, not just one. Many teachers, many people who are making a difference in your life for your good for Christ. So uh, the, the idea that there's this one discipler is not legitimate. You should have many people making an impact in your life. So those are some uh, wrong views or they need a little more balance, need to be fully informed by Scripture. Let's go on to a, a biblical definition of discipleship. I put it there for you. And I would propose that discipleship is becoming a devoted follower of Jesus Christ by first believing the gospel. That's where it starts. That's true. But it continues after that. And then welcoming accountability and help to continue growing and learning Christ-likeness during the course of your whole life. Discipleship includes justification, but it also includes sanctification because it goes on the rest of your life, all of your life, all of us. We are always learning. We always need to learn more. We continually need to be held accountable by many people to spur, to love us and spur us on into Christ-likeness. Uh, so here's where I want to go to Matthew 20, which is really, or Matthew 28, which is the backbone of discipleship at the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples and really the whole church before he ascended and went back to heaven. And he said, here's what the church needs to preoccupy itself with. It is this task of discipleship. Uh, you've heard this much, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus said, go therefore make disciples. Make disciples, that is the main verb. That is what we do. That's what a church does. That's what church leadership does. That's what every Christian should be doing. Going, evangelizing, sharing the gospel, and then when they believe, then we, that's part of discipleship. The lifelong task is discipleship, making disciples. How do you make disciples? That is the imperative. By going, sharing the gospel. Then when they believe, what else do you do? You baptize them. You identify them into the church. You bring them into accountability into a local body. That's what that means. Then what? Are we done? We got them saved. We got them baptized. We got them as on the membership role in the church. We're done. And we're done. No. It goes on for the rest of your life, their life. And that's the last participle that modifies make disciples. Verse 20, teaching them. There it is. We, they get saved, they become a part of the body of Christ, and then we spend the rest of our life teaching them. That's, part, that's discipleship. Teaching them what? To observe all that I commanded you. Wow, you know how long it takes to teach somebody everything that Jesus commanded his apostles? It takes forever. It takes a lifetime. That's why we are all in process. We will never arrive, none of us. So discipleship is lifelong. Till Jesus takes us home or until he returns again. So every Christian needs to be involved in the discipleship process, being taught, learning, growing in Christ, their entire life being influenced by others who will teach them and disciple them. And they also in turn need to be discipling others. It's a lifelong process. This is discipleship. This is the mandate of Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts 14.21 is another place where the verb disciple is used to disciple. And it says Paul and his ministry team would go in, They'd preach the gospel, people would get saved, and then they would disciple them. There's that word used as a verb in Acts 14.21. So with that introduction, let's go ahead and look at some, I think, just basic priorities of true biblical discipleship. Again, this is not exhaustive, but uh, it'll remind us of the priorities from a biblical point of view. So number one, the goal of discipleship. What is the goal? It's to help others grow into Christ-likeness. That is the goal. 
to grow into Christ's likeness throughout the course of our life, uh, to become mature Christians. And so what I put here are just a couple of things that are marks or the byproducts of a mature Christian, of a disciple who is growing in Christ. Uh, Luke 6.40, in light of the goal, goal of discipleship, is growing into Christ's likeness. Jesus said in Luke 6.40, a student, or literally a disciple, it's the same word, a disciple is not above his discipler, but everyone, every disciple who is fully trained, katarkizo, it's an important Greek word, when everybody's fully trained, equipped, thoroughly equipped, uh, mature, been taught comprehensively from Scripture and in life, but every disciple who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So he's So that's the goal in discipleship is we're trying to Produce Christ-likeness in other people. We're trying to produce mature Christians. We're not just trying to produce disciples. We're actually trying to produce disciple-makers. Huge difference, isn't it? The goal in discipleship is not to produce disciples. It's to produce disciple-makers. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I will make you fishers of men who will do the same thing that he did to them for three and a half years. So that's the goal of discipleship, growing into Christ-likeness. Two points I put down there. Here are just marks or signs or byproducts and fruits of mature disciples who have been discipled and are in the process of being discipled. Uh, in John 13, 34 and 35, uh, a mature disciple preserves unity. Preserves unity among believers. Preserves unity uh, among the saints. Jesus said in John 13, love one another. Love other believers. Be committed. Love one another. And by this, by your love for one another, the whole world, unbelievers, other people will know that you are my disciples. So if you're involved in the discipleship process in a biblical manner, there's going to be maturity. There's going to be growth. There's going to be love towards one another as Christians. Unity is going to be preserved. And unity in truth, unity in Christ, unity among true believers is one of the clearest, surest marks of true spirituality, true maturity. True godliness and Christ-likeness. So if you have professing Christians who are just the opposite, they are bitter, they are divisive, they are antagonistic. That is a mark of carnality. That is a mark of immaturity. That may very well be a mark of the fact that they are not regenerate at all. Because that's the exact opposite of what Jesus said here. If you love one another truly in a godly sense, you're going to prove that you truly are one of my disciples. We've been blessed at GBF in the five years I've been here with a, a high level of unity among our saints. It's, it's been refreshing. Thank God for that. Unity in the truth. And then also a mark of true growth among disciples and discipleship is that true mature disciples produce fruit. Produces fruit. This is a mark of true discipleship. Producing fruit. Attitude fruit. Action fruit. Attitude fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All those in Galatians 5. That's attitude fruit. And then there's action fruit. Good deeds. Fulfilling all those one another's. That's a mark of maturity. A mark of true spiritual discipleship that it's going on. And Jesus said this about his disciples. John 15, 7 and 8. Bear fruit. Produce fruit in an ongoing manner. Live a fruitful life. In other words, Jesus is saying it is impossible for a true born again Christian to live their life without any manifest spiritual fruit in their life. And it's unbelievable how many Christians believe this is possible. Well, I think my dad is a Christian. Really? Why do you think so? Well, because he said he was about 17 years ago. Well, what's his life been like for the last 17 years? It's been pretty bad. 
Any signs of spirituality? Not really. Wow. So no spiritual fruit. Zip. Well, that's contrary to what Jesus said here. That's why he used this word very important in John 4. He said true disciple. True disciple. Because he knew that there would be false professing disciples like Judas, who was a false professing disciple. So Jesus said, bear fruit and that by which you will prove to be my disciple. You prove it with the fruit in your life. Godly deeds, godly works, godly attitudes. That is the goal of discipleship, Christ-likeness. Number two, the model of discipleship. What is the model? Well, you can read a lot of different books that have all kinds of proposed models that aren't accurate. The simplest thing to do is look at the New Testament, look at the life of Christ. He was the master discipler. He was the master teacher. The model of discipleship is Jesus himself. And he said in Matthew 4.19, come follow me. He was talking to his disciples, come follow me. Be a disciple, be a learner of me, follow me, do what I do. Listen to what I say, implement what I say. He's the model discipler. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. Again, I will make you, I will train you to reproduce. Again, it's not just we are committed to making disciples. We're committed to making disciple makers. To replicate ourselves, to reproduce ourselves, to pass the baton on. How did Jesus do this? There's a lot of ways that he modeled this. I just chose two. Uh, Jesus was believed in selective association. Jesus didn't just go out and, okay, uh, all 500 of you that got excited about the free food I just made, come follow me and be my disciple. It didn't work that way. He was actually prayerful. And then he was selective in who he chose to associate with at the most intimate level. Yes, he did disciple on a macro level where he'd go in Matthew 5 through 7 and he'd he'd preach and teach to thousands of people. So that was discipleship. He was teaching. He, He knew many of those people in the crowd. But there was a deeper level of discipleship that he was committed to that he modeled for us, and that was being selective. So out of those thousands of people... In Luke, it says that he, Luke 6 says, he went and he prayed all night long for the very specific that the Father would give him wisdom so that out of all of these disciples, he would select just a few to really pour his life into on a micro level. That's what Luke 6 says. And he prayed and the Father revealed that to him. And then he chose 12 disciples. And he poured his life for a year and a half into just these 12 primarily, the apostles. And then even out of those 12, he was selective once again because on several occasions, he'd take just three of them, Peter, James, and John, for a special time of discipleship just with the three of them. So he was selective at many levels. And if we want to be effective in discipleship, we need to do the same thing. Uh, Two full-time pastors at a church of 200 people and four elders at a church of even our small size, we can't, just the four of us and our seven deacons, disciple everybody sufficiently and legitimately. can't happen. That's why we have to be making other disciple makers who in turn will disciple others. So that really every believer needs to be a part of the process of discipleship making. That's why we need to be selective. So we need to be prayerfully selective. God, uh, is this relationship going to work? Do we complement one another? Do we have the same goals in mind? Can we be committed and loyal and faithful and vulnerable to one another? Those are the kind of things you need to pray about when you commit to a discipleship relationship. Being selective. Uh, what else about Jesus? Well, in his discipleship, he was intentional. So it's not just, you know, wishy-washy, hey, let's get together sometime. No, there was a commitment there. So it was intentional, and it's intentional replication. Jesus chose the man that he chose specifically with the intention to replicate himself because he knew he was leaving and he wanted them to disciple others. So that's why I keep saying the goal isn't just making disciples. The goal is to make discipleship makers. You need to replicate yourself. You need to duplicate yourself because that's what Jesus did. That was his model 
uh, Acts 1.8, he says, you're going to be, I've trained you for three and a half years. You got your seminary degree because I want you to be witnesses for me. And then everybody look at uh, this great passage in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Uh, this is the passage on multiplication or reproduction or replication, whatever you want to call it. The goal of discipleship. Reproducing ourselves over and over and over again, not just in one generation, but the next generation and the generation following. So in all those T's in Second Timothy 2, so the Apostle Paul, he was a discipler he, and he made disciples. He went into a town one time, preached the gospel, and there's a young man, maybe a teenager named Timothy. Timothy got saved and then Paul took Timothy under his wing. He discipled Timothy. He modeled for Timothy. He taught Timothy. He took Timothy on the road so that Timothy could learn. And then he put uh, Timothy in a position of leadership so that he could teach others. And he uh, commissioned Timothy to reproduce himself and others as well. And that's the discipleship verse in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Listen to this. You therefore, my son, Paul's talking to Timothy. My son, meaning that uh, Timothy came to know the Lord through Paul preaching the gospel. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have learned from me... See, Paul discipled Timothy. So that's... Paul, that's one generation. Timothy, that's the second generation. I've been teaching you. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men. So, Timothy, you need to do the same thing to another generation of men. So I disciple Timothy. Timothy is to disciple others. That's a third generation. So you've got three generations right there in discipleship. So, Timothy, you need to disciple other men the way I discipled you. And not, it doesn't stop there. These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you got four generations of discipleship right there in that one verse. That, that's the essence of biblical discipleship. It is producing not just disciples, but disciple makers, replicating ourselves. And it is intentional. So we've got the goal of discipleship, Christ-likeness, the model of discipleship, Jesus himself. And then number three, the elements of discipleship. I remember at a previous church where I was a pastor, I just remember a conversation I had with a group of saints, and they were telling me about their their accountability group. It's like, oh, cool, accountability group. Well, how often do you meet? Oh, I, well, it hasn't been real consistent as of late. Oh, okay, well, well, you know, just give me the gist. Well, we try to meet when we can, maybe once a month, once every two months, maybe sometimes once every three months. just depends on when everybody can get together. Oh, okay. Well, at least they're trying to be intentional. That's good. So it's an, so it's not a Bible study? No. No, it's accountability group. I said, oh, okay. Well, so you don't study the Bible? No. It's an accountability group. Oh, okay. Alright. Accountability groups can be good. So, like, what do you do? Do you pray together? No. No. Oh. Well, so what do you do? Do you, like, read a book together? No. Well, oh, okay. Well, what do you do? Well, we just kind of get together when we can and hang out and talk and stuff. It's like, oh. Like, so what's like the spiritual element or component to it? Well, sometimes nothing. I mean, this is a real conversation I'm having. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed about that because I don't feel like I'm getting a whole lot out of it. I was like, wow. Yeah, I understand why. So I just, and I tried to help them out. I was their pastor and gave some suggestions. Hey, maybe you should just have one verse and talk about that. Oh, yeah, good idea. So that brings us to this point here. Boy, uh, discipleship. Number three, there are elements and components that need to be in the discipleship relationship and process. And if you don't have them, you don't have discipleship going on. You just got a social gathering. 
the world can do that. So here are some priorities. They're not all of them. They're the main ones that need to be going on in any discipleship relationship, whether it's one-on-one with somebody or it's a small group or it's a group of 50 people. It's once a week, once a month, once every two months. These components need to be there. Otherwise, you don't have discipleship going on. Four things. There needs to be teaching going on in that group or that context. Because that was Matthew 28, 20. Teach them everything I commanded you for the rest of their life. Teaching has to be happening. It's deliberate. It's not just hanging out. What are you teaching? Well, that's specific too. That's B. You need to teach truth. What I mean by that is Scripture. Everything in your discipleship relationship, one-on-one or in a group, everything has to orbit around and flow from Scripture, including your prayer, your conversation, your confession of sin, your accountability with one another. Everything is defined by and flows from Scripture, which is the truth in a true discipleship relationship. So you don't have to go through an entire book together and memorize it together. But even if you just had one verse, practical verse, that you're meditating on together, reminding each other of its truths, the Holy Spirit of God is going to use that on both of you or all parties involved to help you learn and grow and be taught. So Scripture needs to be at the heart of the discipleship process. Jesus said this in John 8, 31 and 32. He said, abide in my word. Present tense. Continue to abide in my word. Continue learning Scripture. Continue studying Scripture. Continue taking in Scripture in all of your relationships. If you do that, you will be my true disciples. That's what Jesus said. So discipleship doesn't happen apart from scriptural truth. So you need teaching, teaching of the truth. Uh, prayer needs to be an, a regular ongoing component of discipleship. That's letter C, prayer. Acts 2.42. All the early saints, all the early Christians of the early church in Acts 2.42 says, as by way of habit, lifestyle, commitment, in an ongoing manner, they got together and they did some things. And it constituted discipleship. They worshiped together. They studied scripture together. They had fellowship together. They had the ordinances together as a church. And it says they also prayed together continually. So in your discipleship relationships, you need to be involved in prayer. Even if it's one-on-one or with somebody, you've got to have a prayer partner. If you've got a prayer partner, you're in the midst of a discipleship relationship, and that is awesome. There's no way, there's nothing that will grow a deeper intimacy in your relationship with someone than if you pray with them. So it's absolutely vital. When, oh, by the way, when I'm speaking of the elements of discipleship, the spiritual disciplines, boy, be careful and be discerning. Because there are books out there called the spiritual disciplines. And some of those disciplines don't come from the Bible. So be discerning. Examine everything carefully from Scripture. Like visualization is in many of those spiritual discipline books. That, that's not in the Bible. Or another one, meditation, and then they define it in a different way. Meditating on some mantra. That's Hinduism, that's not Christianity. Or one of the disciplines is to, to sit and be silent and think of nothing. I'm thinking, well, number one, that's impossible for me to think of nothing because I can't control my mind. And then usually they're not good thoughts. So if I'm not thinking on Scripture, i got problems. Empty your mind and think on nothing. That's not in the Bible. Empty your mind, be silent, and listen to God. I'm thinking that's impossible. The only way I can listen to God is to hear His Word, to study His Scripture. So that's what it means. You want to listen to God, you study Scripture. You meditate on Scripture. You meditate on a verse and think about the implications of it, the truth of it. So that's just a footnote. That was extra credit. Um, Be discerning. And then finally, in your discipleship relationships, you need to be honest. You need to be vulnerable. You need to be honest. 
James 5 says, confess your sins to one another. Wow. If you can do that to somebody else, you really trust that person. Incredibly vulnerable with that person. That's hard to do. Confess your sins to other people. So there's got to be that deep level of intimacy, commitment, trust, and honesty uh, to really have true, healthy discipleship going on. So those are the elements of discipleship, the spiritual disciplines. Number four, the realm of discipleship. So what is the context in which discipleship happens? I've alluded to this. Well, you need to have deliberate accountability. You need to be in accountable relationships. That's really where discipleship happens. Uh, just some things I want to highlight here. A, B, C, and then I'll add a D. Uh, discipleship happens in the context of personal relationship. Uh, Mark 3.14, Jesus selected his disciples and it said, quote, that he wanted to spend time with them. Isn't that cool? He wanted to be with them in close proximity with them, to hang out with them. And you watch the Gospels, that's what Jesus did. They followed him everywhere. Follow me. Everywhere he went, everywhere he traveled, everything he did, formal and informal. All kinds of spontaneous things they were involved in. They followed and shadowed Jesus everywhere. They walked through life with Jesus. That is discipleship. When you walk through life with another believer and they interpret life for you from God's point of view and you do the same to them. That's discipleship. You've got to spend time with people. So you, you can't really be in discipleship with somebody if you don't know them and don't spend time with them. And okay, well, it's a radio preacher who lives 500 miles away. He's my discipler. No, he's not. Do you know him? Have you ever met him? Are you accountable to him? No, but I'm learning and I'm teaching. Yeah, you are. But that's the Spirit of God teaching you through truth, through Scripture. Every discipleship relationship in Jesus' life and the apostles happened in the context of immediacy and a personal relationship with somebody that you were accountable to. So you've got to become vulnerable and be involved in a human relationship. That's what Jesus modeled and so did the apostles. So it's got to be personal relationship. Also, the component there is these are spiritual friendships. That's really just another great definition. What is discipleship? It's spiritual friendships. That's what it is. Spiritual friendships. Jesus discipled his apostles. And when he was done after three and a half years, he said, I call you my friends. I call you friends. And that's where the greatest intimacy and honesty happens, doesn't it? In the context of a deep, intimate, trusting relationship with somebody that's your friend, right? That's a true friend. That's what the book of Proverbs says. So true discipleship has to happen in the context of spiritual friendship and personal relationship. Uh, and where does this happen? Formally, uh, just at the restaurant one hour a week or no, it can, it can happen there, but it should happen everywhere else. And that's see a discipleship happens in all of life, all of life. Just like Deuteronomy six says the way we should disciple our children as you walk in the way, as you sit down, as you stand up, everywhere you go, you should be teaching your children. Literally, everywhere you go, you should be discipling your children. In the context of life, all the venues of life, all the vicissitudes and hardships of life, and you, everything is a, a, a visual aid. Everything is a, a lesson for them to see from... What does Scripture say about this? That's true discipleship. It happens in all of life. And then D... Where does discipleship happen? It happens in the body. It happens. It has to include the whole body of Christ. Some Christians think, well, my marriage is sufficient. I don't need anything else or anybody else. Yeah, you do, because the Bible says you do. Or some Christians think, no, it happens in the context of my family and I don't need anybody else. And so they have their own little house church and it's just their family. And I'm the pastor, I'm the preacher, I'm the elder board, I'm the deacons. Really, Dad? Wow, that's amazing how you do that. You need the body of Christ because that's what Jesus said we need each other so in your marriage it's you and your spouse and your index finger and that finger together but you need the rest of the body as well the head the feet everything else that adds to the growth so discipleship happens in the context of the body so if i were to write a book hillary clinton wrote a book called uh, it takes a village and what she meant by that was 
it takes the whole community and the whole country to raise a child. And some people have written a book called It Takes a Christian School. And I would say it takes the church body to fulfill biblical discipleship. So that's the realm of discipleship in all of life. And then number five, the versatility of discipleship. This is the beauty of it because uh, it's not canned. Discipleship is not canned. There's not a program. Jesus didn't implement a program. We don't offer a program here for discipleship because there's a zillion different ways you can disciple somebody and be discipled, and it is case by case. There's great freedom in that. There's beauty and flexibility in that. There, You can be personal and tailor it to your needs and where you're at in life because of that great freedom. The versatility of discipleship, it's case by case. Um, it can be macro or it can be micro. Jesus modeled both. He did macro discipleship where he taught large crowds on the thousands and on the hundreds, and they were called his disciples. So he taught at a, at a macro level, and Jesus also taught on a micro level. That's a smaller group. The, oh, at one time the 70, and then there was the 12, and then there were the 3, and sometimes he'd just take one guy, one. So uh, that's just great versatility, flexibility that you have in your discipleship relationships. Uh, also, B, there's... Formal discipleship and informal discipleship. Matthew 5, it says Jesus saw the crowd, so he sat down in the rabbi teaching position and he taught the crowds formally. That was formal discipleship. And then there are many times over and over again where Jesus discipled informally, mostly those were spontaneous situations and occasions where he'd turn it into a, a teaching lesson. And the one in Matthew 12 is he's out and him and his disciples out going to get lunch in the fields, picking their snack of the day, and boom, that turned into a lesson and a sermon where Jesus was able to disciple his friends who were with him, and it wasn't even necessarily on the agenda of the day. So that is the beauty of the biblical model is there's great versatility for all of us uh, and freedom to accommodate to no matter what situation we have in life. Some of you are busy parents and busy moms. And, well, I can't be out discipling 15 women in the church. Well, you don't have to. If you've got a daughter at home, there's your disciple in-house. Isn't that nice and easy? Dad, you got your son? There's your disciple. And at parents, that's your primary discipleship responsibility, right? Starts in your own home. Uh, number six, and this is just a call to action and just practical questions for us to think about. The mandate for discipleship, that, like I said earlier, that's for every believer. Every Christian should be involved somewhere in the discipleship continuum. And specific questions, whom are you discipling? You're a Christian. you got to be discipling in somebody, whether it's your son, your daughter, somebody, if you're a Christian. Maybe you're a brand new Christian. Well, okay, then maybe the greater need is that you need to be discipled by somebody else. And that would be the second question. Uh, who is discipling you? Who is discipling you? You need accountability in your life. That's the biblical model. Who's discipling you? Uh, there's a mandate there in uh, Titus chapter 2 where it, Deals with, it commands older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and the mandate for older women in the church. So here's a question for all of our women in this church that are older women. And you might be thinking, you're offended because I called you an old woman. Well, uh, that's what the Bible says. Older women need to be discipling other women in the following areas. Well, what are the areas? Well, or how old is an older woman? The older woman is defined by virtue of what she does. An older woman apparently has enough experience to tell younger women how to love children. So apparently you're old enough that you are past childbearing age and you've had at least some time period to learn about children. 
And also you are to teach younger women how to love their husbands. So apparently you have enough time that has gone by to have experience in how to do marriage, this marriage thing. So how about 30 and above? That's an older woman. I'm just throwing it out there. And uh, so if you're a believer and you're a woman and you're 30 and above, in light of Titus 2, are you discipling a younger woman somewhere in your life? It's a great question to think about. And if you don't have anybody, just pray to God. God, send me a younger woman to disciple. We do this. We're on our road to fulfilling the Great Commission. Let's go ahead and pray to God. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the opportunity that you actually have set aside by divine decree to set the Lord's Day apart for corporate worship, fellowship, prayer, being in your word. Thank you that you speak to us through scripture and the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you for the reminders that we've been able to have regarding discipleship, knowing that this is at the very heart of Jesus Christ, growing the church, the mandate of making disciples all over the world through the gospel and then through teaching them everything you have entrusted to us. God, remind us of these truths. Help us to be faithful. And God, we need your grace. We need your Holy Spirit, and we need accountability and help from others. We pray that you would provide that for us as we commit this to you for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650 630 0009.